Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, hello. You're listening to the uh, Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, thanks to Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Um, my name's Bill, and today my guest is a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and he'll be talking to us about his experience with compulsive gambling and how Gamblers Anonymous has helped him to recover. Uh, I'd like to welcome Michael to 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. G'day, Bill. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, well... I hope it's going to be an enjoyable experience for you. It is for most people. <laughs> okay, um, so a bit about the show. Um, each week on Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assists people recovering from drug, alcohol, gambling and other problems. Um, and these fellowships include Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous and for the families, Al-Anon Family Groups. Um, our guests share their recovery experience, and we hope that their story can encourage others who want to change their lives. Uh, so, Michael, we usually have a chat about uh, what it's like, what happened, and what, what it's like now, which is the, the standard recovery dialogue, I guess. Um, but of late, we've been sort of starting at the end and then going back and looking at how you got there. So do you want to talk about... Um, I guess, the reason why you came into um, Gamblers Anonymous, um, how long you've been in Gamblers Anonymous, and what are the sorts of things that's helped you within your life? Yeah, okay, thanks for that, uh, Bill. Look, my journey uh, with GA started, um, oh, crikey, almost uh, 21 years ago, uh, in 1998. Um, I first came to GA... After uh, having been discovered as a gambler, I mean, I guess unlike uh, some of the other um, compulsive addictions, it's it can be easier to hide or easier to hide uh, when you've got a gambling addiction. Um, so a number of us, and I'm, I was certainly one, um, came into the program through being discovered by a family member. Yeah. So uh, what's, that that, my, what's that like? Oh, it, was, it, it felt like the world was crashing uh, on me that day. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it was the a, ca- a case of the unintercepted um, credit card statement um, that did me in, and and uh, you know, it's funny because I've actually kept that um, credit card statement, and uh, every now and again, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I'll sort of rummage through the files and. And it comes, it kind of comes out, and it's always a bit of a surprise when I look at it. And I look at it, and boy, I mean, it's pretty shocking um, stuff to see. You know, the the it's very easy from that one page to see the compulsive nature of the addiction. Yep. Right. Uh, and and I guess uh, I I was definitely compulsive. I I thought I was going to lose um, my young family. I had married again. Uh, you know, recent. You know, at, at the time it was it was still pretty fresh. Um, we had uh, a young child uh, on the way, and 
And and look, GA was kind of my last hope, I guess, to salvage everything. My, my wife made the uh, call to stick by me at that time and to give me a chance. You know, she threw me a lifeline, and and I'm forever grateful because um, look, I, everyone's situation is different, but I, I guess, uh, and, and I don't know for sure how things would have gone if she hadn't. If she'd yeah. made a different decision. I certainly couldn't have blamed her if no, she'd made a different no. decision. Um, you know, I don't know how I would have reacted in 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 her place. Um, but uh, you know, she gave me an opportunity, and and I went to GA, and and it was like um, for the first time I had hope because here was this problem that I had been struggling with in secret and trying to um, control. And and I just couldn't. I couldn't through force of will alone, you know, and my own decisions. I just couldn't do it. I mean, I would have a terrible, um, you know, session at the pokies and lose what was in my pockets, and and come out with a knot the size of a cricket ball in my in my neck and in my throat, you know, choking and and feeling queasy and nauseous and thinking, oh my god, I've done it again. And swearing black and blue, I would never do it again. And and by the next morning, I would have figured out what lies to tell. You know how to cover mm. um, the the gap, and 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 then, and it wouldn't take. And, and the pressure would be off. And then I would start thinking, okay, now, you know, how do I get uh, enough funds again to sort of have another crack and maybe win it back? You know, and and that was a vicious cycle for me. And and mm. uh, and getting caught was terrible at the time. But best thing that ever happened, best yep. thing that ever happened, saved my life. Yep. So, at, as you mentioned, it's gambling is not about winning a lot of money. No. It, it's often about trying to get back to zero. To zero. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny, you know, because I, I, I when I was trying at one stage to to um, control my my gambling, I would actually keep a bit of a mental book of of my position of how I was going. And it would always be negative very quickly. Um, and then I would actually, um, because I guess I didn't want to um, deal with that negative situation, mm. I'd not gamble for a few days, possibly even a week, and then I'd kind of forget about it and say, well, that was the past, so now we're going to reset the clock and start yeah. at zero again. One day at a time. <laughs> like, exactly. So, so, so I was constantly going in a negative in my head and then forgetting about that and then starting again at zero and going and forget. so it just you know wouldn't work and it wasn't about the the amount i i just couldn't i couldn't get past the behavior and that's because it was linked to you know as i subsequently learned i mean i didn't realize this at the time even though the signs were obvious um but it was for me it was an escapist behavior i mean it was partly thrill seeking you know yeah. i i'm I'm a little bit of a thrill seeker, you know. Done, um, I guess, questionable things in in, in my youth and, and and other things, and you know, I lo- love bungee jumping. And but, but um, I, I predominantly it was an escapist thing, you know. There was situations, emotional situations, um, life situations that I couldn't deal with, that I didn't want to face into, mm. and um, you know. It became a pattern for me, and that I, that pattern was set when my first marriage was breaking down, and I and I realised when on the day that I realised that that was irretrievably gone, you know, I went to a venue, and and before that, 
the gambling wasn't really a problem for me. You know, I was a social drinker and you know, I didn't really smoke or anything. Um, you know, didn't do drugs or anything like that. And, and I'd gambled once you know, every so often. It was it was, wasn't even a thing. Yeah. And I went into a venue and, and I just kind of blotted out my feelings and the world and and I unfortunately won big. And, um, and that set the pattern uh, by hooking that kind of reward behaviour with the escape behaviour. Mm. And, uh, boy, it didn't take me long to, for, 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 to deal with everything that way, you know. Um, so, look, it was, yeah, it, it's all clear to me now, but that's 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Much too late, yeah. So, um, so you talked about escaping. So what was the emotion Really? Uh, yeah, look, I, I guess the emotions, I I, I grew up um, feeling as if there was a lot of expectation to be a certain way and uh, to, you know, to be, um, you know, this lovely boy, my beautiful son, he's good at school, he's, he's you know, good with people, um, you know, he's a hard worker, you know, what a good kid. And I kind of felt that pressure from a very young age, and I, I felt as if um, constricted in some way, you know, almost stifled in a way. I felt that I was a, a performing seal of some sort, yeah. and, you know, having to kind of deal with with people's expectations, and and so I became very good at um, reflecting what other people wanted to see of me in whatever situation, mm-hmm. but I also became very good at um, lying and kind of um, isolating a part of myself for myself, you know, that you know, no one's going to control this part, this is mine, you know. And um, and I guess as I grew older and had to deal with things um, or should have dealt with things, I, I didn't deal with them, you know. No. Um, I, I would kind of retreat into that isolated um, world that I'd created in my head um, and still presenting this kind of high functioning facade, but I guess it was it was fertile ground for um, for for when the problems became too big, and I did sort of fall into that um, com- compulsive behaviour, compulsive mm-hmm. gambling behaviour, you know, and and the emotions that that triggered that and that would kind of drive me into that were were um, you know fear. Predominantly fear. You know, I, I felt uh, for a long, a great part of my life like an imposter, like a fraud, that at any time the mask would fall away and people would see what I really was, that I wasn't worthy, um, you know. And, um, you know, that, that I've, I've felt that for the better part of, you know, 50 years. Um, mm. You know, I'm now sort of mid-50s and, and uh, uh, it, it's almost entirely gone I, I can't say it's fully gone you know I, I still see um, a psychologist as well as uh, uh, going to um, meetings twice a week and and look you know I've, I've subsequently learned over the over recent years that I suffer from clinical depression and 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 there are days that I now recognize recognize what they are where I will just wake up and for no particular reason I'll just be dark I'll be down and I know today I can recognise that very quickly, yep. and I know that um, instead of isolating, I should, 
you know, do the opposite of what my brain tells me to do. My brain tells me to isolate. It tells me to go, you know, to do something silly. In the past, it said to me, run to a venue. That'll solve yeah. all your problems, <laughs> you know. You won't feel anything bad there. It will all be great. Um, and, uh, and, and like, I guess, the other addictions too, when you're in, uh, you know, in GA, we say, you know, when you're in action. When you're in action, it blots out the world. Mm. And it does, you know. And, and you know, the... Unfortunately, venues and things these days are kind of designed to to maximise and exploit that. Uh, sadly, um, you know, but it was very effective until you sort of step outside. You step back outside yeah, into the harsh, real, harsh light harsh, of day. Yeah, harsh light of day, and boy, you know, um, yeah, just feeling gutted that you've done it again, and and uh, you know, no amount of logic, no amount of uh, rational thinking or, or regret could stop me from doing it mm, you know yeah. so was gamblers anonymous the first thing you tried no no i did try um uh, shortly before coming to gi ga i had gone to uh gamblers help and uh i you know don't want to disparage them you know i'm sure it works for some people everyone has their own journey but it did certainly didn't work for me i mean the the, the mm. counselor that i met was was well-meaning and a lovely person and tried to understand but because they didn't suffer from an addiction i i guess they didn't it seemed to me they didn't quite appreciate how um inexorable that draw is that just mm. pulls you to that behavior you know it's it's um you know i felt driven to do it, even when I didn't want to do it. It was like something else was controlling my brain, you know, and mm. short-circuiting. Tractor my, force. My, yeah. Tractor force, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And and, yeah. and so, you know, and, and I, I don't know if it's part of their program, but, but this person discussed with me the options of abstinence or control, and, and I certainly didn't want to abstain because I didn't think I had a gambling problem. I thought I had a getting caught problem and a money problem, you know. <laughs> so, so, so... Um, uh, it wasn't long before I, I busted again, even though um, with with my wife I had set up we had set up um, our finances such that it would be impossible for me to not get caught again. Yeah. And that shows you how crazy this compulsion is because mm. I knew logically the outcome that, that I would get caught again, but I still did it. And mm. so when I did get caught again, which was in pretty short order, um, you know, I went to GA, and and that was really my last chance. And and I grabbed hold of it, and you know, my first meeting in 1998 was at Carlton, and and all I remember was a, um, you know, crying for most of the through most of the meeting, but b feeling hope. You know, there were these people here that were just like me, that were doing these insane things, and yet somehow they had uh, managed to achieve abstinence and and good lives and some people there had 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 not gambled for years and and i thought that was incredible i Mm. couldn't i couldn't string a month of abstinence together on my own you know it was a real struggle um so it was it was fantastic and i took to it like a duck to water initially Mm. and yeah racked up about seven years abstinence uh first time around right so what was it like at the first meeting did you feel overwhelmed with i guess just the feeling that there is a solution Yes, yes. Oh, it was because because I I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, mm. I thought that I, I'm just bad, right? There's mm. there's something faulty in me, and and that's You've finally it. been found out. And yeah. I've been found yeah. out. That's yeah. right. And 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 I didn't. I, I don't know what I expected. I mean, I had you know in, in sort of um, 
uh, you know, literature and in media, you know, you hear about AA and things like that. I, I, I don't know that I actually knew what any of that meant or, or what 12-step programs meant. I, I didn't really know. All I knew was that if I want to hold on to my family, my life, um, you know, I better get my ass into a chair. Sorry for, for mm, swearing. Yeah. <laughs> um, better get myself into a chair and, and, and in a meeting and, and do whatever they ask, right? Yeah. I, I, was, I was ready, you know. So the first step about uh, admitting powerlessness, I was perfectly primed for that because, you know, I, I had my hands up in yeah. surrender, you know. I, I, I knew... I knew that I was powerless over gambling, you know, so it was very easy for me to accept that. And the hope, oh, my God, it was like, um, you know, it, it couldn't have been any more awesome had Jesus walked into the room and yeah. said, you know, my son, you're cured, you know. Yeah. It was just great. The hope was, was palpable. Yeah. There. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might take a break there. My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family. And even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. And you're listening to Living Free on 3CR. Uh, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio and live streaming at 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Michael and we're talking about recovery from disease of compulsive gambling. Um, So uh, during the break we were just catching up quickly and talking about what it's like to be a gambler um, and the sort of things you think about. So it must occupy a lot of your thoughts when you're not gambling because while you are gambling, you're just sort of zoned out. But So what's it like thinking about gambling when you're not gambling? Oh, it's pretty um, consuming. I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess one of the ways I could describe it is um, – it was always at the forefront of my mind. So whether I was working uh, at work, um, all I was really thinking about was how I could, um, you know, go off uh, at the next coffee break to the nearest venue, spend a bit of time there, go off at lunchtime again, go off at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, and, and everything, all my thoughts were, were kind of geared either uh, to when I could do it, how I could do it, how I could facilitate it. If I was in a, um, a family situation or a social gathering, I was never really present. You know, I mm. wasn't present <clears throat> in the moment. I wasn't listening to people. I wasn't available emotionally to people because I was constantly thinking, okay, this activity is a kind of a... Um, something I've got to do. And restriction. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's right. And and I, you know, viewed people through the filter of, you're either going to um, stop me from doing what I want to do, what I need to do, or you're going to help me, whether you know it or not, um, yeah. to do that. You know, yeah. or, or it's kind of neutral where you know I've just got to bide my time, and do the minimal social interaction thing, and then. And then sort of get around you. Yeah. So 
So it was constantly that kind of lens over every interaction with everyone, whether at work or not, not at work. And it's pretty sad, really. I mean, I, you know, my gambling was not um, huge in terms of uh, sort of monetary amounts. Um, and, and because I was a pokey uh, gambler, it was very easy to find a venue, especially, I mean, I work in the yeah. CBD and, and always have. And, and so, uh, you know, ever since pokies uh, sort of came into the state, um, th- that became really, really simple. And it's a, f- a form of gambling that lends itself to, you know, even the tiniest amount of time uh, you can do. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like these days for people that gamble on their phones, you know. It's, it's yeah. with you all the time. Yeah. Um, so I guess in, I'm lucky in that sense. But uh, then when um, I'd be on my own, all I'd be thinking about was the gambling that I had done. If I'd had a reasonable session, um, I'd be replaying it in my head. Um, If I had a terrible session, I'd be replaying it in my head. Um, I'd be thinking about uh, the lies that I had to tell to cover my tracks, um, both at work and at home. I'd be um, thinking about how I'm going to cover any financial holds, you know. I mean, I, I would, um, you know, transfer money from a savings account, get an AT, you know, into a savings account from a credit card, uh, get an ATM receipt that showed that it had a nice balance and then transfer it back into the credit card, get another ATM receipt so I could kind of wave them about and say, look, everything's fine. Yep. In reality, <clears throat> they weren't fine. Um, and then... At night time, when I'm left with my own thoughts, you know, I'd be lying awake, struggling to sleep, um, and the, the music, for me, the, 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 the sound of the poker machines, it was just something I could not dislodge from my brain, you know. Um, it, it wouldn't let me sleep. It wouldn't let me think of anything else, you know. I mean, there, there are other physical sensations that you get that, that go along with, with gambling, you know. I mean, for me, uh, again, being a pokies gambler, the the grime on your fingers from the coins back back then, it yeah. was, you know, you'd feed the machines with coins, um, that, that stale recycled air through the air conditioners, you know, it, it would pick up the, you know, trace of smoking from people out, out the back, you know, having a smoke. And so it was just this horrible, horrible um, smell, you know, and, and the feel on your fingers and then the noise in your head that wouldn't leave you, um, you know. Uh, and, of course, so many times when I would leave a venue um, having, th- you know, th- thinking, oh, my God, I've done this again. I've done it again. Um, you know, I've emptied my pockets. I've emptied my wallet again, um, you know, feeling as if I was choking, um, feeling nauseous, um, I mean, just, just, and then throughout all of that, having to maintain a facade. So having to mm. then go back to work and pretend as if nothing's. <laughs> get you know, on with life. Get yeah. on with life. Yeah. Go home and pretend as if everything's hunky dory. How's your day? Oh, it was fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it was anything but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've heard of pokey players who go to the pokies and, and spend a long time there until they lose everything. So what's it like to have a short time where you don't actually lose every time? Well, it, it's funny because um, I, I would – the only time it was ever short for me was 
if I won an amount that meant I had to, they had to give me a check. Okay. Right? In those yep. days, that's how yep. it was done. I yep. have no idea if that's still how it's done. <laughs> yeah. But um, and that was really disappointing, yeah. actually, because yeah. the primary purpose of it was escape. So you know, if I walked in and then walked out ten minutes later, I was very unsatisfied. Um, and and it's ironic because even though logically I was telling myself this is about winning money and having fun, um, it actually wasn't about that at all. And so many times I knew I was losing and I thought there would get a point, I'd get to a point where I thought, um, okay, you're now on a rapid downhill slide, there's only X amount left and you're going to burn through it. And part of me would say, okay, stop now, some round number. Yeah. And then I'd break through that barrier with ease, and then yeah. you know, five minutes later, it'd be okay. Now stop. Now this is another round number, a smaller one, you know, and and it would accelerate until I got to zero, and it was almost like I had to get to that point, you know. I, I, I've I've discussed this with others at GA, and honestly, if someone had fed me a conveyor belt of coins, and I was sitting a machine. I'd end up a skeleton sitting in front of yeah. the machine. I, honestly, I, I don't you forgot think everything I, else. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have left for for anything. Yeah. I wouldn't have left for anything. Yeah. So, did you make any friends in the pokies? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, look, you know, a, a lot of people do talk about gambling as a social activity, and and look, for some people, I accept that that may well be the case. Mm. It certainly wasn't for me, and it it certainly. You know, from most of the stories I've heard from others in the fellowship, it wasn't for most of them either. Um, for me, definitely, it was an isolating thing. I I sought to be uh, to isolate myself from the world, and um, and I achieved it. And and you know, in fact, the th- one of the things that would really wind me up when I was sitting in a venue was if someone tried to make conversation. And, and, and sort of chit-chat. Distract oh, you. Know, yeah. Oh, you're doing well. And, and I'd be thinking, oh, just stop now, you know. Stop now. Don't make me move, you know. Um, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted, to, to, to talk to another human being. Mm. Yeah. So no friends no. Through, through gambling, definitely. <laughs> so did you have particular venues that you wanted to go to that you preferred? Um or was any venue just as good? Oh, any venue was just as good in the end. I mean, I certainly started off with preferred venues, and and that's only because I mean, as as I said earlier, the the nature of how I kind of crossed that invisible line from normal human being into a compulsive gambler, you know, I, I had gone to a specific venue that night, um, and so that became my first port of call, um, you know. And it's still there. I do occasionally. I'm mean, in the CBD, and, yeah. and I occasionally pass it. And I, I, I never pass it neutrally. Mm. So, yeah. you know, for for many years afterwards, um, I I would think, and and maybe it was this is a bit of a self defence mechanism in the early days of my recovery. I I, I actively stoked anger towards the venues to try and. Um, push myself away from them, mm. you know. I mean, I live near a venue. Um, you know, there's a venue almost at the end of my street and uh, and I would drop into into there before work and after work, you know. Mm. And um, and I, I have, I'd have those kind of uh, sort of um, 
thoughts of, of uh, you know, smashing them up and causing them harm. And I mean, silly, crazy things, you know, yeah. but it, it, just stoking that anger helped me to initially to just keep clear of them. Mm, okay. Um, so going back to growing up, so did your family have any sort of history of this when you were a child? No, and that's that's an interesting uh, question. I mean, I, you know, um, have heard others say that they grew up around gambling and, and all that sort of thing and, and you know, horses and, and that kind of stuff. But I I can't say that, that, that they did. I mean, my uh, parents were immigrants and... Um, you know, in the early days in Australia, they would sort of, you know, gather with other families and there'd be card nights and it was more of a social thing. And, you know, sort of mm. the adults would be in the sort of around the kitchen table playing cards and, and us kids would be running amok, you know, yeah. in, in the back. As we, did. As, yeah. as we did. You know, it was a bit more free range back then. Yeah. And um, and I, I guess I associated that with, with just kind of social Things, but they never like they weren't uh, in my family. They, they weren't horse punters or anything like that. Mm. You know, we, we would uh, like most of Australia bet on that one day a year. Mm-hmm. You know, on 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 the four legged beasts and and uh, but but that was it. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And it was wasn't until um, you know many years into my recovery that I looked back at my family and their siblings and their children, my cousins, to see, um, you know, what the prevalence of kind of addictive compulsive behaviour was. And it was pretty high, actually. It was surprisingly high. I mean, we had, um, you know, uh, a couple of alcoholics and a couple of drug addicts and, you know, uh, a couple of womanizers and gamblers and... You know, and and most of them were smoking um, addicts, you know, cigarette, mm. which is just as bad. I mean, mm. it's not frowned upon, but it's it's you know can be just as devastating. Um, so, you know, and and that was a real eye opener for me because I thought, oh, maybe uh, I'm actually carrying something and not just kind of one out of the box. You know, yeah. um, I'm not so unique. I'm not so unique. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. that was that was comforting. Yeah. So was difficult to tell your wife, but how difficult was it to tell your parents and your family? Yeah, look, um, interestingly, it was a while before I told um, my parents and, and, and my uh, sibling. And, and uh, I guess by that stage, I was comfortable enough with the fact that um, I was a recovering uh, compulsive gambler, that even though it still was an uncomfortable thing to Mm. share that knowledge, I I felt um, a bit proud of the fact that I was in recovery and and kind of, you know, making a a pretty good fist of it at the time. And and so um, I did tell my my parents and and my mum was... um, Look, to her credit, she uh, sort of kept it together, but I don't think she was too impressed. She um, had a – look, it's a bit of an old-school attitude, pretty prevalent, I guess, in that generation where they feel that a, 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 any kind of slight to the family is a reflection on them personally, yep. you know, yep. and, and an inability to deal with the fact that things aren't perfect. Um, you know, my dad um, – 
was a bit more uh, accepting and, you know, we had a few chats, um, you know, when when mum wasn't around, just he and no. I, and, and, and that was a really um, good, I think, for both of us. I mean, I, you know, he... I mean, you know, both of them continued to, to love me. I mean, they didn't, yeah. you know... Didn't cast sort of, you out. No, yeah. it didn't cast me out yeah. or treat me any differently. But I think Dad was proud of the fact that I had dealt with it. Um, I don't necessarily... Uh, look, I, I think eventually from Mum what I got was acceptance, but we don't really talk about talk it. it. She, no. she knows that I go to meetings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll say I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to a meeting or my wife will say, oh, look, you know, Michael's at a meeting. Um, uh, and she knows what that means, and she accepts that, that that's part of my life. I don't know what she thinks of it, but but she accepts it. Yeah. So were you um, were you angry as a as a youth and an adult as part of trying to control things that you couldn't control in yourself? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, anger is such a huge part of my personal story. I mean, I. You know, growing up, I, I felt um, angry. There's a, a sort of a classic family photo that, that most people in my clan have seen of me as a little kid. And we're talking like three or four years old, you know, dressed for church at the time. And uh, and uh, I've just got this angry face on this huge frown, you know. And, and everyone laughs because everyone knows that, you know, angry Mike, you know, in the, in the family, you know. Um, you know, my brother-in-law will often tell me, you know, to to have a Snickers, and and uh, but uh, you know, and but he didn't know me back in the back in the day. I mean, I there were uh, periods. I guess you know, I, I I went to GA twenty years ago, um, but then I I sort of fell away from the fellowship in the in the mid two thousands, and and uh, and spent a number of years away from uh, the fellowship and. Look, I mean, there was a lot going on. I was working full time. You know, we had kids, and I had gone back to uni. Um, you know, to to, to do, get another degree, and there was a lot going on. But I, I use that, I think, as a bit of an excuse to to not go, stop going to meetings. And and when I did, I found that my emotional um, misbehaviors were would come back, were starting to come back, and I was getting angrier and. You know, we say in the fellowship, white knuckling, and that's what I was doing. I was, I was really trying to hold on to my life and 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 everything, and kind of keep it together um, in the absence of fellowship, and uh, and that um, exhibited that came out, I guess, in anger, mm. and and the prime uh, recipients of that anger were my family, you know, my wife and my kids, and. And there was a span of years when they were growing up um, when I was a very angry man. I wasn't um, physically violent, but I was emotionally violent, you know. Mm. And um, and they would there'd be times when they'd be pleading with me and saying, why are you so angry? You're so angry. Stop being so angry, you know. <laughs> Which probably made you more angry. <laughs> it, it, it did, you know. I mean, I know it sounds like a gag to say, I'm yeah. not angry, you know. Yeah. Um, but but, but um, that's what I... I, I truly didn't think that I was like that, but clearly I was doing them um, massive harm. And, and eventually I, I thought, well, imagine what it must be like if they're right, mm. you know. And that's what kind of started. And I was I was back in GA by that point, but I still had issues with dealing with my anger. And finally I started 
putting myself in their shoes and that's what kind of turned it around a bit and as I said earlier I'm I see a psychologist as well as going to to GA and 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 even though the 12-step program teaches us to make amends I mean there are some things that you can't fix you know the emotional damage I inflicted on them I can't repay in the same way you would repay a loan Mm. right it's not a financial uh, hurt it's it's an emotional hurt you know and and as a result of that I've contributed to their journeys and their issues um, and I guess the only amends I can make today is indirect amends by being a different person and doing it differently. And, mm. and I can honestly say that I think they know um, and I can see reflected in their eyes that I'm a different person. You know, there's a lot of uh, love in both directions there. Um, these days I'm present you know, I mean, my, um, you know, one of my children has had similar issues with um, addictive behaviours, and and has had her own journey through that, and and you know, we've grown together as a result. As a result, um, and and she has, uh, to her great credit, um, you know, done really well with dealing with those, and you know. Right now, I'm the best me I've ever been, and I think um, and our relationships within our family are the best that they've ever been. So I'm, you know, and I can only put that down to um, the program. Not that the program solves everything in your life, but it gives you it, the opportunity. It to gives it. you the yeah. opportunity yeah. to. Yeah. It gives you the opportunity to be open to growth and to self-reflection and to change. You know, and and that just wasn't me before. You know, I mean, I thought I was that person. I thought I was open to change and, you know, a really wise guy, but I was actually a wise guy, not, not a wise guy, you know. Uh, and, and, uh, and, but now that's, I feel that that's true. And, and look, I, I'm not saying that things are all um, a bed of roses. I mean, life's never a bed of roses. Life's just life. Stuff happens, mm. you know. But today I can, I can deal with it. And, and, uh, and really, for me, I, I finally figured out that dealing with it is means not trying to control it, you know. Because when it comes when it comes to both gambling and controlling things, I'm terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, a, I was a terrible gambler, you know. You know, all evidence points to me being an appalling gambler, and I was also appalling at controlling things. I couldn't control myself, mm. and I wanted to control everyone else and and the situations I was in, and. That, that's just not possible, you know. No. And finally, I learnt to relinquish control and have faith that if I do the right thing by myself and am the best person I can be, that things will resolve themselves accordingly. And, and they kind of have. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we might take another break. Um, and you're listening to Living Free on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm Bill, and I'm talking with Michael, and we're talking about gambling addiction and how uh, Gamblers Anonymous can help. Um, so, Michael, we've we've talked about coming into Gamblers Anonymous, staying for seven or so years, spending about seven or so years out, and then coming back. So, what's it like to come back to a fellowship that you left? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's certainly not an uncommon thing. Um, I guess um, it would be nice if it was 
more common in the sense that a lot of people come through fellowship and then leave and then never come back. So, um, yeah, know, it's good to have people come back. It's good yeah. to have people yeah. come back. Yeah. Um, and I guess in, in hindsight for myself, I, I, I realized when I came back that, um, I had terribly missed it. I mean, really, um, it was, I, I instantly, instantly felt at home and, and calm and, you know, the, the change was almost immediate. Uh, I, I felt accepted. I mean, I, I must admit I did fear, uh, you know, I thought, oh, God, what are they going to think of me and blah, 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 you know, that, that uh, oh, here's this, this, this loser. He, yeah. he left us and now he's coming back, you know, with his tail <laughs> could, between his yeah. legs. And, <sighs> and, um, and that's how I felt. But, you know, in reality people were so warm and open and it was a great um, and pleasant surprise to me to go back to a meeting and see, you know, two or three people that I had known from, from before, you know, and especially in the case, in, in one particular case, uh, there was th- this person who had also been a very long time in the fellowship. When I was there the first time around, they were a struggler, you know, yeah. and I thought I was doing great. You yeah, know? better than and, them, yeah. yeah. Better than them, that, that's right. And, and that was, that's a terrible way to think, by the way, and, and uh, a very immature, um, you know, it showed immaturity on my part back then and... But but they were doing fantastically, and it was um, a credit to them, but also a, a clear uh, example of you know how with, within the fellowship you can do that, you know. And he had turned his life around, and and uh, and I was so happy to see him and to and to be back uh, amongst people that I that I do love and I do relate with, and and as I mentioned during the break, I I, I absolutely love going to meetings. I mean I. Um, you know, I, I go two nights a week, and and uh, I I couldn't imagine, um, I couldn't imagine my life without it. You know, it, it's not an optional extra for me, and not because I have to, because I want to. You know, I've I've tried life with and without GA, and I much prefer life with it. You yeah. know, it, I'm I'm a better me. Uh, I'm sure people around me would tell you. I, that, that have known me through that time would tell you I'm a better me, um, and and uh, and that's sufficient for me. That's mm. sufficient, and I and I love um, uh, the people in the fellowship. I really I feel warm towards them, as warm towards them as I do towards family members. I care about them, um, you know. And, you probably and, know and more about, about them me. than well, I probably do, yeah. and, and vice versa. You know, yeah. so so there'd be many things that my family members don't know. You know the specifics of mm. that. That uh, you know the people in 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 the fellowship have heard for mm. sure. Yeah. Uh, so, can you sort of talk about how you stopped going to GA? Yeah. Look, I uh, you know, I, I it, it's such a well worn path. Sadly, um, I I mean the GA program is one of uh, humility and of of realizing that willpower alone isn't um, sufficient to solve some problems. And, you know, it creates a framework, establishes a framework for recovery that doesn't put you at the apex, right, Um, in terms of the power that drives that recovery. And I never really got that the first time. And so it's very easy 
to start coasting and to become complacent when you get a bit of abstinence up. Got this under control. Yeah, Yeah. I've got this under control. I've got it licked. It's sweet. You know, I can sort of cut back on the meetings. You know, it's a bit cold tonight. I'm a bit tired. Got late from work. There's something good on the telly. You know, and and you sort of start – you don't start by just stopping. You you will typically start by just kind of backing off, taking the foot off. And uh, and that's exactly what I did. And that coincided with – um, other time commitments, you know, study outside of work. And and so it became really easy to excuse myself from meetings and, and it, it, just, um, it just happened, you know. And, and really the, the thing that opened that door that made that possible was that I hadn't fully realised that this is a – a permanent thing, you know. I can't escape. I mean, I can try and escape from everything else in life, but I cannot escape from my own brain. Mm. And that wiring yeah. is still there. Even if yeah. I've rewired other parts of it. Yeah, yeah. The default that, is the there. The default yeah. is there. Yeah. 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 Um, so coming back, coming back in, what was the trigger to get you back in? Yeah, look um, – we had uh, a relative who uh, was going through um, some issues and, and had been doing addictive behaviours for a while. I mean, I don't want to go into yeah. details. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm on the show, they aren't. So, <laughs> um, you know, but, but uh, you know, they. it was a bit of a, almost a matter of life and death and... Um, Look, and by that stage, I had been pretty open about, you know, what I was and, and that I was part of this fellowship. And I, it was obvious once I knew about the problem that, you know, there was a possibility of help for this person. And so I offered to take them to a 12-step meeting. And um, so even though I wasn't going at that time, you know, I I took them to a 12-step meeting and it was... Um, the beginning of a terrific journey for them yeah. of recovery, yeah. and uh, you know, and they've done amazingly well in the years since. But it was also the beginning of my journey back to fellowship. You yeah. know, did and it feel like coming home? I did. Yeah. It did. I, I even though it was a different fellowship to mm. to GA, uh, I I totally found that I could relate, that I could understand um, these people who felt lost, uh, who you know, couldn't deal with life and who were using, you know, these means to escape from from these emotional issues. And because and, that's exactly – I totally identified, totally yeah. identified. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we're just about to the end of the show. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, then you can. You can phone them on 96966108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au. Um, after the sh- after this show, uh, we've got a uh, radio show called Black Noise Radio, which is hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to that, hang in there. Um, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Michael for coming in and sharing his Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. It was a pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by some members of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Um, thanks again for listening to Living Free.